welcome to The Happy Writer, a podcast that aims to introduce readers to awesome new books and authors, and to help all of you writers out there overcome common writing ailments from rejection to imposter syndrome and everything in between. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. I'm the author of The Lunar Chronicles, The Renegades Trilogy, and Heartless. And I am so glad that you are here joining me today. At the time of recording this, we are still in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the world seems to be changing almost hourly at this point, uh, as we're all kind of trying to figure out what is happening and what we should be doing. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that things are really weird right now, um, but we're doing our best. My heart does go out to everyone who has friends and family who have been afflicted with this disease uh, and everyone whose work and businesses are suffering from this as well. Uh, I really don't think there's anyone who hasn't been impacted uh, by this pandemic in some way. So stay strong out there, stay healthy, uh, and do your best to support each other as well as we all can. Of course, the silver lining to this whole situation is all of this bonus reading time we suddenly have, uh, which I can't complain about. Um, and so I hope you guys have been finding lots of awesome books to read during your time in isolation. On that note, I am so excited to introduce today's guest. She is the New York Times bestselling author of the Dimpleverse books, which I think is the cutest uh, title or, or fandom title for a series that I've ever heard. Um, the books kicked off in 2017 with When Dimple Met Rishi. That was followed by There's Something About Sweetie and book three in that series, 10 Things I Hate About Pinky, comes out this summer. She also wrote the standalone YA romance from Twinkle with Love and her most recent book, which just came out in February and which I just got my copy of a couple of days ago, so I cannot wait to read it, is Of Curses and Kisses. Please welcome to the show, Sandhya Menon. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited by the entire idea of this podcast, I have to say. Especially oh, good. now. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially now when there's, we all need happiness, more happiness. Exactly. We, I don't think we can have enough happiness right now. True. Or, I mean, just in general, I think that's safe to say. That's true. Um, that's true. But yes, with the world as it is in this environment, um, anything we can do to create more joy, then let's do it. Yes, I'm so there, right there with you. <laughs> um, so, Sanjay, you and I had the pleasure of meeting, what was that, maybe like three weeks ago? Um, yeah. At the, the San Antonio's Library Palooza Book Festival. Uh, That's right. was, yeah, it was right before this whole thing happened. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of <laughs> our last hurrah as authors, I think, that weekend. <laughs> I know, we really just like really slipped in right before the whole world shut down. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, how have you been faring? How's your life in the bunker? <laughs> the bunker is holding up so far. Um, I do have two kids at home right now. They're 11 and 12. So I don't know how long, how much longer it will hold up. <laughs> right now, everybody's happy. So I'm, I'm just taking it one day at a time. <laughs> so are you trying to do the homeschooling thing? I am in a way. Um, my kids are old enough that they're kind of able to log into their school and see what's going on and what the teacher requires 
course, they are still kids. So I do still have to check in and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But so far, so good. Um, this week is actually spring break. So thankfully, they have nothing to no homework and nothing to do. Um, I think they're going to start back in earnest, though, uh, April 1st. So that's when the real test will begin of us as parents being teachers, too. It is a test. It's yeah, I think that we're all coming to really appreciate school and teachers so much more than we did before this. I know. I just don't know how they do it for seven or eight hours straight. No, oh it's boggling. It's boggling. <laughs> and I have my husband is also home, and it's the two of us, yeah. and then our, we have five year old twin girls. Um, and so it's, you know, one-on-one -on -one and you'd think that it would go so smoothly, but no, it does not go smoothly. It's, I know. Yeah. And five years old. I mean, yeah, that's like, you know, that is that kindergarten then they're in pre-K pre-K. Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, I don't think that I was a very good pre-K teacher when my kids were that age. <laughs> no, I don't think I am either, but I did teach them how to tie their shoes. Oh yeah. Um, so that was a huge win. I should say my husband and I taught them to tie their shoes. So That's we feel incredible. like we accomplished something, if nothing else. So cool. No, I think that's wonderful. I don't think my daughter knew how to tie her shoes until maybe second grade. So you guys are way ahead of the curve there. Oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> it's my, my gold star achievement. Yeah, no, forget writing whole books. Like I know. <laughs> that's where it's at. Um, okay. I definitely want to know so much about Of Curses and Kisses, your newest book. Um, so, you know, how sometimes as a reader, you'll like hear a, a description of a book um, and it just hits that exact right note for you. And you think, yes, I am the target reader for this book. Yes. Um, that's how I felt when I first heard about Of Curses and Kisses. It has so many of my, my reader buzzwords in it. Um, okay. But you, you please, you go ahead and tell us what the book is about. Okay, well, first I have to say, I felt the same way about the Lunar Chronicles, like every single book in that series was my, like, personally written for me, so <laughs> it means a lot that you say that about mine. It was, <laughs> it was personally written for you. <laughs> <laughs> we have record of that now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Of Curse of the Kisses has been pitched as uh, Gossip Girl meets Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's set at a very elite boarding school in uh, the Colorado mountains. And it features an Indian princess who enrolls at this boarding school in order to get revenge on a very misanthropic British aristocrat. Um, they have this whole history behind them of feuding families. And um, she is there to basically make him fall in love with her so she can break his heart. But of course, this is a romance, and so things don't go exactly according to plan. <laughs> Whatever do you mean? <laughs> she might end up, you know, kissing him and actually falling in love with him, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it could be very pro problematic. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> in the whole revenge thing. Why Beauty and the Beast? Why this fairy tale? You know, I think it's probably one of the most popular retellings out there and it's definitely one of my favorites like it is for so many other people um and I knew that there were a lot of different retellings of Beauty and the Beast 
And I still felt like I hadn't seen one yet set at a boarding school featuring an Indian princess and a British aristocrat. So I was like, let's see what I can do with it. That's a little bit different. Um, It was really just me being a writer who needed to write the story that was in my brain and wouldn't let go as opposed to like, let me see what the market needs right now kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most wonderful things about fairy tales and and fairy tale retellings is because like, yes, there are a billion Beauty and the Beasts out there. There's a a billion Cinderella's out there. Um, but what if, what if it was set in a, an elite boarding school? What if she was a cyborg? Like there's right. just, there's endless interpretations. Exactly. And I think when you really feel the joy and the passion for the story that you're telling, even if it's a story that has been told in a million other ways, people can feel that joy and passion coming through the work and it connects with a lot of people. I think that's, I mean, for me, that's what I felt when I was reading Cinder. I, I was just like, I've never read anything like it. And I could just see the world so clearly. I knew you were probably pouring your heart into the story. That's how it felt as a reader. Did you, when you decided that you wanted to do um, a Beauty and the Beast retelling, did you feel any pressure to like make it stand out from the crowd? I did for sure. Um, I, like I said, I had personally even read so many Beauty and the Beast retellings and I love them all Um, and that just made it even more imperative to me that I tell a story that people didn't feel like they had read a million times already and um, so that was part of thinking of a new setting for it so the setting was actually came to me separately from the idea for a Beauty and the Beast retelling Um, And then I put the two together of boarding school, elite boarding school and Beauty and the Beast. So it was definitely two disparate things that came together because I wanted to right from the start show that this was a little bit different from maybe what you've read before. Yes. Um, So I'm one chapter into the book, um, so I I can't give any spoilers, (laughs) Good, which is a good thing, of course. Um, but I'm so curious because in the first chapter you hint at the curse, um, but he's, as far as I can tell so far, he is not beastly looking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are, are you able to tell us like how you worked in the beast element or is that a spoiler? It's definitely not a spoiler. Um, So yes, I did make him, he's very attractive, but he's also a very big imposing guy and he's very misanthropic. He's very shut down because of this ancient curse that his family has basically told him he's been um, bestowed with. And ever since he was little, that's what he's heard is kind of his destiny. It's this curse that's going to come to fruition on his 18th birthday. Um, And I don't want to say too much about exactly what's going to happen, um, but that unfolds throughout the story. And he, because of what he's been told about his destiny and his future, he just feels like there's no point in connecting with everyone, with anyone. And so his all of his social etiquette and everything that you know you would think a British nobleman should have, he doesn't have. He's very rough around the edges. And so in that way, he's very beastly and he thinks of himself in that way. And you, you see him kind of blossom as um, Jaya, who's the main character, the, uh, the female main character comes on the page and she's very different from him. 
she's very much into decorum and social graces and being an Indian princess and projecting this perfect face to the world. And so that was a very interesting kind of um, dynamic to play into with these two very, very different main characters. I love that. It has that, that like trope, the enemies to lovers trope, which is, (laughs) you know, my favorite. Um, Yes. I love it so much. And also like star-crossed lovers because they're feuding and that comes to light as you read more. So there's like this whole element of these two really shouldn't belong together in any universe. And yet here we are. And I love that too. <laughs> and yet here we are. What yeah. great romance is built on. I'm so, so looking forward to reading it. Thank you. Um, so I, in preparation for this interview, I was looking on your website and on your blog. Uh, and I have to say, I find it very comforting in a way to see that you have written exactly one blog post per year. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an intentional choice? (laughs) Yes. Yes and no, I guess I should say. I knew when I made the decision to put the blog on my website that I was going to be terrible at updating it because like every, like somebody in her late thirties, I have definitely started and stopped many blogs over the last few decades And I just knew this was going to be a thing that was not going to be regular. And so I think I even say that somewhere on there that like it's a semi-annual blog post or something like that. But yeah, it's definitely something I knew that I would not be able to keep up with going into. I should say that in the interest of being completely honest, like I had hoped to do more than one year, but it just hasn't worked out that way. As it doesn't sometimes, but I think that's a good thing. I feel like, like for me, and I know for a lot of authors, we can have this mindset of all or nothing. Like either I'm going to post every single day or it's not worth it. Um, And I like that, that you found this balance that actually seems to work really well for you. And it's like, you can have the blog and people can go there. And when you do write a post, they were all really great posts. The, the four. (laughs) That you have, <laughs> um, but it kind of it takes some of that pressure off of as, as an author feeling like you have to do all of the things all the time. Exactly, that's so that's so true, and I feel like we do that not just with blog posts, but like you said, with everything, like with Instagram and Twitter. I went through this phase with Instagram last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before, where I felt like oh, I'm going to post, you know, like three or four times a week. And then I realized I wasn't posting and that just made me not want to post at all. So I would go weeks between posts. And I got to the point where I was thinking, you know, toward the end of the year, it's better to post maybe once a week if I can do that, if that feels comfortable, than just go into this spiral of dejection and shame and not post at all. So... (laughs) I am so familiar with that spiral. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm the really same way, especially with social media, where you have yeah. periods where you're all gung-ho and excited and like, I'm going to come up with all of this great new content. And <laughs> then like at some point, the novelty wears off and you go into a slump and, you know. Right, exactly. But yeah, I think being, yeah, being more 
consistent or laid back and kind of doing what you can without putting that constant pressure on yourself seems like a much healthier way to go about it. I agree. I, I know. And I have definitely been someone who has burned herself out by doing way too much um, and not, you know, being healthy, like you said about it. So that's kind of what I'm trying to approach social media with. And when I feel like there's too much pressure I'm, and that I'm putting on myself, I do feel better about just stepping away for a couple of days and taking that time that I need. And then I find that it really refreshes me when I get back into it. Yeah. What do you do when you have one of those periods where you need to step back? What do you do to kind of regenerate? So many things. Um, Usually I, so I'm not a very tech oriented person. I'm happier when I put my devices down and kind of go outside so living in Colorado, it's really um, easy to be able to do that, even with social distancing, just go out and, you know, hike or um, walk around with my dog. We have like a couple of forests near us and just go out there with my family or just me and my dog or just me. Um, I love to work out, which is a new thing for me, but uh, I find a lot of um I don't know, mental health benefits with running and just, you know, strength training and things like that. Um, I'm also a very, very, very part-time now, but um, still a practicing therapist. So I like to pour a lot of energy into that um, when I find the writing to be a little too much to deal with. So I have a variety of different things I like to do, I guess. I had no idea that you were a therapist too. That's so interesting. Yeah, very part-time since um, my first book came out, but I like to go in at least once or twice a week or so um, just to kind of, I'm just one of those people, I think. I learned this the hard way because I tried to do full-time writing after my first book came out, and then I realized I just couldn't do it. Like if I was sitting at my desk and writing um, for, you know, just 24-7, that's all I thought about, I became a very stagnant, unhappy writer. Mm. And I needed to have something else um, where I felt like I was using a different part of my brain. Um, And also, I just I'm very passionate about mental health and I wanted to keep giving back in that way. So I went back to work. um, I think it was last year and or no, it was 2018. I decided to go back and it was probably the best decision I could have made. I think that's so, and that's such good advice to um, whether it's working another job or even just having other interests and other hobbies outside of writing, um, I think can go a long ways in making us feel like our, our lives are more fulfilling, um, more satisfactory. And like, we aren't, we are more than just writers all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and reminding yourself that there's so much more out in the world to life and, you know, taking place all around you and that you should maybe engage with that a little bit more because really it would be possible to, you know, being a writer to just sit at your desk all the time um, and, and be your only companion. But uh, for me, I just found that it led to burnout and a lot of unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you were able to find to find something else to bring back into your life then to me avoid too. that. Me too, for sure. And uh, that's why when people ask me, like, should I, I get uh, uh, questions from aspiring writers a lot of times where, you know, they'll say, should I go to college to become um, like to major in creative writing if I want to become a writer? 
And almost invariably, my answer is if you have another passion or hobby outside of writing, I would say, you know, maybe major in that instead, because I feel like um, psychology has really enriched my writing life in addition to, you know, just giving me another career to fall back on should I ever need it. That's one of my regrets from college is that I never took a psychology class. Um, oh. I'm, I'm fascinated by psychology um, and I, I read books on mental health and psychology and sociology and all of these. And I just think it's such an interesting topic. And I wish maybe someday I'll have to do a, go take a class at the local college or something. Cause I think it's so interesting. Yeah, I highly recommend it. And there are so many online um, courses too, that you can do. I feel like it would be really enriching for any writer to do that just because it you know you get to know human psychology and the way the mind works and the way people think um, on such a deep level and I find that it can be really helpful in getting those like nuanced three-dimensional characters too. Yes no that makes so much sense Um, and being able to really explore people's motivations and how their past impacts their feelings toward things. Exactly yeah. Um, so back to one of those, one of your blog posts, one of the four, because <laughs> um, you, you talked about, I think maybe it was your most recent one. And you'd been talking about some of the things that you learned since your first book came out. Uh, and one thing really struck me is, is a wonderful way to think about it. And you talked about how as a writer, sometimes we question who we're writing for. Am I writing for myself or am I writing for the readers? Um, and I don't know if you remember what you said, but maybe talk a little bit about that and how you feel about who are you writing for when you're writing? Yeah, so I think you're um, probably referring to one of the lessons was that I write or I draft for myself and then I edit with an eye to my target audience or my ideal reader. Yes. Yeah, and that was a a big thing that I found out. So um, this is something that happens to a lot of writers who have a second book um, come out after the first one was kind of widely read, is that you realize that now you have an audience, right? (laughs) Like you never- Scared. Yeah, (laughs) when you're writing that first draft of your first book, you're just doing it for yourself. You really, even if you have a a book deal uh, that you sold on proposal, you still at that point have no concept of, you know, readers who will read your book and then tell you these very personal things about what they liked or did not like about (laughs) your book and your characters. And um, so I was in the same boat and I had sold... Um, my first book went Dimple Met Rishi. And then shortly after, before Dimple even came out, I sold my second book, um, which was a standalone. And so then I sat down to write the second book. And by then, the arcs for my first book were out. And then as I kept going through the process, my book actually came out. And then I was like editing while my book, was, my first book was out and all these reviews were trickling in. And I just, that was one of my first um, burnout phases because I started putting all this pressure on myself and you know thinking this book has to be better than the first one and it has to impress everybody way more and all of this these things that were completely out of my control the only thing that I can control is whether I write a good book or not but I let all these 
um, critical things come into my mind. And sometimes if I would see a bad review or people questioning, you know, the representation in the book or whatever, I would let that sit in my mind while I was trying to draft uh, or edit my second book. And that was just a really terrible uh, time for me creatively because I just, I almost quit. And I almost said, just, just here, take, take the money back and <laughs> sorry <laughs> to waste your time. Like it was just really scary because I didn't know if I was going to do the second book. Um, but once I did it and I finished it and I had some time to think, I realized that, you know, all of that pressure I had put on myself and nobody had come up to me and said, this better be good you, you know, it was all me. And um, when I sat down to write my third book, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore, that I was going to, um, for the first draft, I was just going to pretend again that I am just this writer with no audience and nobody cares what I write and I'm just going to do it like that and it worked really well for me I was able to fool myself um, and you know create this world where I was only writing for an audience of one and that was me and then for editing I started looking more into what can I do to make this more um, pleasing to readers of my books and what do they expect from me and, and you know kind of think about that more but for the first draft um, I learned the very valuable lesson for me that I just needed to think about writing for just that audience of one. Yes and when you're writing for you your audience of one what are the sort of things that are keeping you engaged in the story? Oh well <laughs> so I think so I'm a I think I'm my target audience. I read a lot of rom romance and romantic comedy. And so for me, it always comes down to the chemistry between the characters. Like I have to have two characters who are different enough to cause sparks and clashes on the page. So, you know, the, the dreaded saggy middle doesn't become an issue where I have to have enough things happening between the two um, for each of them to grow and also for the plot to kind of twist and turn in ways that you might not expect um, as I go along. So for um, Of Curses and Kisses, I actually, this was kind of my first book that was, um, it was kind of different from my other books. So I, in, in a way, it was more intriguing and glamorous and set in this world that I hadn't explored before. So I ended up going to my plotting wall a ton over and over again to say, is this compelling? Does this really make me, if I was a reader, would I really want to turn the page to see this plot twist or to see how this hook was resolved? Um, and it was a very interesting experience because I felt like I was almost a third party to the process because I was trying to see it from um, the view of, you know, what would make me want to keep reading a book like this? Um, and so that was interesting just to step away slightly from my romantic, like summer romantic comedies into this more like intriguing, twisty world. So for that book, it was definitely a lot of um, hidden gems uh, and hidden secrets that would come to light at just the right time in the book. So for people to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. But if they were to reread it, they would see like shadows of the secret that was going to be revealed, if that makes sense. It does. And those are my favorites. I love those sorts of, of reveals in a book yeah. where 
when you get there, you feel like you should have seen it coming. Right. Um, and it just feels so perfect and inevitable, but still surprising. Right, exactly. And that was very fun to do. And it was also kind of nerve wracking because it's so different from what I've done in the past. And I was like, I really want this to be a book that I would pick up and read and, and keep turning the pages of and not get bored of. Yeah. So you mentioned your plotting wall. Yeah. <laughs> What's a plotting wall? <laughs> yes. So the plotting wall has been featured in many a Instagram story <laughs> because I feel like I get that question a lot for when I mentioned my plotting wall. Um, and one time I had, I took a picture of myself and my plotting wall was in the back and nobody cared about my picture. They were like, what's that in the back? Tell me what, you know, how you use that. Um, it is basically, I take, you can get these giant post-it notes um, at Staples, kind of like a big pad. And I stick one on the wall and then I plot scenes on it. So I start with my candy bar scenes. That's not my term. It's a term I got from another author, Holly Lyle. Um, but candy bar scenes are basically the scenes that are super duper exciting for you and um, that you can't wait to write. And so I put them on little post-it notes and I stick them approximately where they go, you know, in the beginning or the middle or the end. And then once the candy bar scenes are up, I go in and fill in the rest of the plot um, using my post-it notes. And that's my plotting wall. I love it. <laughs> I love any any excuse to use more office tools and post-it notes. Exactly. I mean, what what's not to love? And I will <laughs> say also a quick plug for a book, a craft book that I love. Um, it's called The Plot Whisperer Workbook. Um, and I use that uh, to kind of, you know, make sure that my plot, my scenes have structure and are following a story structure. It was super useful to me when I first started um, plotting because I used to be a pantser, complete pantser. Um, but yeah. Really? So you made the switch? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Oh my gosh. And that was like one of the biggest changes of identity I've ever had. I think. <laughs> Right there with mother and wife. <laughs> Do you want to go back and like all of those times before when you told people you were a, a pantser and be like, I take it back. I take yes. it back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I even remember telling my agent at one point, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to so much as write a synopsis for a book that I, that I <laughs> write. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I even said that. And of course, Marissa, I think I told you when we last met, but you were kind of your um, blog post about synopsis writing was what helped me um, write my very first ever book synopsis. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Thank you. I think that that blog post, which I don't know how many years ago I wrote that now, but I think it's by far been the most popular thing that I've ever put on my blog. And I get a lot of, actually a lot of writers telling me how it was really helpful. So cool. Yes, it, it's, I think it is like the go-to um, recommendation because I actually think my agent was the one who recommended I read that when I was like, how do I even start with writing a synopsis? Oh, good. So, yeah. I think Here you go. Here's the around. steps. <laughs> um so I I do want to talk about Dimple and when Dimple met Rishi 
which I read, was actually reading when you and I met um, a few weeks ago, and I loved it. I loved everything about it um, from the adorable cover. Your covers are infectious. They, I've been so lucky. They have done such a great job with the covers. I agree. Yeah, no, they're good. You cannot not smile when you see these covers. Um, And there's great characters and it's a really sweet story. Um, I think though, for me, one of like the most impactful things from reading this book was all of the talk of Bollywood. (laughs) And I have seen a couple of Bollywood films, but by no means a lot. Um, And yet there's a scene in When Dimple Met Rishi or a couple of scenes where the two characters are trying to learn a Bollywood dance together. Yeah. Um, and, and Dimple suggests they do uh, a song from, please correct my pronunciations here, from Krish. Yes, and the song Krish. is Dil Nadia. Yes. <laughs> did I say that? Okay. You did. It's perfect. Um, and I had never heard of this. And so, of course, I had to u- go on YouTube and see what it was that they were talking about and try to picture what the characters were doing. And I became obsessed. And I do not know how many times I have watched that video now. It's, it's like addictive. It is. I agree. I mean, that's why I put it in the book, because I had just watched it not too long before I wrote it. And it was still in my head and any excuse to, you know, put it down and then also watch the um, actor, Hrithik Roshan, who is just like this adorably handsome, muscular dude. (laughs) He's so charming. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Can you dance? I do dance, yes. I'm very shy, though, as a person, so I don't like to dance in front of other people. Um, but it's just me and my husband. I like to dance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot, it is not a, a talent that I have, but that video made me want to be better. <laughs> yeah. I think as like Indian kids, so I took like years and years and years of dance and, um, every like festival or wedding or any, you know, anything that we have to celebrate, like we just like to dance. So it's almost impossible to grow up Indian and not be a good dancer. So for someone who's seen very little Bollywood, like what would be your number one recommendation that I should watch like today? Oh, I would say probably the movie Queen, which is a very feminist uh, Bollywood story, which unfortunately is not that common. Um, It's getting more and more common. So for people who are new to Bollywood, I recommend Queen. Um, it's about this girl, woman, young woman who is jilted at the altar and she's very used to telling or doing what other people tell her to do. And in a moment of, um, just, you know, bravado, she decides to go on her honeymoon by herself after being jilted. And it kind of follows her journey, uh, of just coming into herself and it's got amazing songs and brilliant cinematography. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Awesome. Queen. Yes, Queen. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. I'll look it up. I'll look into it. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Okay. You have two books coming out in the next year, I believe. And this year. Yeah. One this year and one next year. Tell me what are, tell me about your new upcoming books. Okay. So the two this year are Of Curses and Kisses and um, in June, 
10 Things I Hate About Pinky, which is the third book in the Dimpleverse. And then uh, next year, I have two books again. It'll be um, Of Princes and Promises, which is the second book in the St. Rosetta's um, Academy series. And the second book next year will be my um, first ever adult rom-com makeup breakup, which I'm super excited about. I remember I read the the little blurb about makeup breakup and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was getting some intense uh, you've got mail vibes. You know, it's yeah, that was actually originally my inspiration for really? um, yeah, was my inspiration for the book. Um, I will say there is definitely like this. The heroine has a smaller, um, much more do good app. And the, the hero has a much more successful kind of awful app. <laughs> and uh, they do, they're, it's total enemies to lovers. So it's just these, this big giant app going against the smaller app and, and them kind of, you know, how do they come out on the other side? Because of course they are also attracted to each other and all of that stuff. Of course, of course. Just so happens they're meant to be. Exactly. <laughs> what is, what's the steamy level? Like scale one to ten. Um, it's pretty steamy. It's it's not erotica, but it's definitely got some explicit scenes. So I would put it maybe at a seven. Okay. Uh, it was fun to kind of dive into that after um, writing a lot of YA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Expand your horizon. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, we're going to do a quick uh, happy writer lightning round. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. What book makes you happy? I will say, here's one that I like to reread a lot, Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie yes, Perkins. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stephanie Perkins. She's so good. Yes. She's amazing. Even her horror made me happy, I have to say. I never <laughs> read it. It's on my list. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Her her romances are some of my all-time faves. Yes. Uh, let's see. What do you do to celebrate an accomplishment? Oh, man. I know this is lightning. I'm going to take a second to think. <laughs> no thinking. It's not allowed. No thinking. Okay. Um, let's say uh, go on a hike with my dog. Mm. How do you fill your creative well? Mm. Helping other people. Oh, that's a nice one. <laughs> um, this one you can choose. What are you reading now or what's next on your TBR? Oh, okay. Um, I'm currently reading Pestilence by Laura, and I don't know how to say her last name. I think it's like Glamis. Um, it's kind of funny to be reading Pestilence right now. I was thinking there's an irony there. <laughs> yes. Was it's that intentional? <laughs> you know, it was recommended to me by someone else. So I don't know. I didn't really think about it until I started reading it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting that I'm reading it right now. It's actually a, a romance between this woman and um, one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, Pestilence. Oh, my so goodness. It's very interesting. Yes, I'm enjoying it so far. What a cool <laughs> concept. I know it's really cool. I'm gonna write that down. Pestilence. Yeah. Um, and lastly, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Sundia Menon Books or Twitter at S Menon Books or my website at sundiamenon.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me. This was so fun. It was fun. I had a great time and I'm so glad you could be here. Uh, readers, definitely check out Sanjay's newest book uh, of Curses and Kisses, as well as all of her backlist. They are all delightful and I know that they will make you smile, um, especially with those covers. You can't not. Uh, I also encourage readers right now to do your best to support your local booksellers. Um, a lot of them are currently offering free shipping. Um, so get your, your book fix that way if you can. Please be sure to subscribe to the Happy Writer podcast um, so you can be alerted of my next episode. And you can follow me on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author or check out my website, marissameyer.com. And you can email me there uh, to let me know if there's an author that you would like for me to invite on a future episode. So with that, uh, until next time, guys, stay healthy out there in these nutty times. Stay cozy in your bunkers. And please do your best to try and make someone else's life a little bit brighter today. Mm -hmm.